You know things, I know some too. Sit right down, the will explain them to you. If there's a thing you want to explain, these two feminists can entertain. Nerdy stuff, sexy stuff, so much to know. Tune in for the Femsplain Show. Listeners and welcome to Femsplained. Hi, listeners, and hi, Avalon. Uh, Femsplained. What is Femsplained? I don't know. Hi, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to say that yet. Yeah. <laughs> Quit rushing me. <laughs> Femsplained is a podcast. It is a podcast. In fact, it's a Fems-only clubhouse podcast where the Fems have the mics and every gender identity is welcome to listen, laugh, love, and learn with us. Yeah, that was pretty good. But it's not just like, you know, a fems only podcast. Oh, what are we talking about? Fem stuff? No. We're talking no. about nerd culture stuff. Yes. From the lens of two queer fems. That is, yeah. Yeah, we should really work <laughs> that into the intro. Uh, but it, it's true. And we are your hosts, Avalon and Diana. And today, we're going to do a little bit of a mutual uh, yes. explain. But yes. first, Avalon, what has nerd culture done for you lately? I've been um, watching through all the Studio Ghibli stuff. Oh, nice. It's been fun and interesting. Uh, different degrees of enjoyable, depending upon the night. Yeah. Um, and ooh, one of the movies... Francis and I watched We Need You and Marty to watch so badly. Oh my God, what is it? Okay. <laughs> but Do not you, right now. <laughs> not right now? Okay, okay. I don't remember the name. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but I definitely need to watch it. So that's good. Okay. Yes, I feel very strongly about that. But it's one of those things where it's like, I'm trying to figure out a way that you can watch it like while I'm staring at your face the whole time, <laughs> which is not... <laughs> Not probably what we should do, but I just really want to share your reactions so badly. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I'll look into how we can do that, but I'm very excited to find out what the movie is (laughs) I need to watch. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. Um, Have I done anything else? I have a ton. I'm in like a, I have ideas mode. I think because I just went back to work. Now I have time where I can't be doing things but I'm not really interested in the things I have to be doing so I'm brainstorming a lot yeah so I have a lot of intentions right now for different kinds of nerdy things um we'll see (laughs) how how much fruition there is there yeah no that makes sense well I am excited about the studio Ghibli watch through uh have you had like a favorite so far I like different ones for different reasons. I was really happy to go back and watch Princess Mononoke, which is, you know, obviously one of their, I guess, more popular in America films. Yeah, sure. Um, but I had seen it in, I think, high school. Um, and I was kind of like meh on it. I thought I was all right. I don't know why I felt that way. But it was nice to go back and rewatch it and appreciate it a little bit more. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, And I had never seen Kiki's Delivery Service, so that was very exciting. That one's one of my favorites, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know how I hadn't seen most of these movies because I feel like I've been nerd adjacent to them so much 
just never really went out of my way to watch them. Um, I do have a lot of thoughts about Kiki's Delivery Service, <laughs> but I liked it. Good. <laughs> I don't really understand what the fuck she's doing. <laughs> Fair. Because when she leaves home, they make it seem like she's going to witch school or she's training or something, but she, there's never anything even slightly pursuant of developing or furthering magical powers except for flying the broom. Yeah. There's never any training. No. She just flies the broom. Yeah. But they make it sound like she's going to college. Or college Hogwarts. to flying the broom college. All she does is deliver things on the broom. She yeah. doesn't dream any bigger than that. I mean, you know, sometimes you can just be happy with where you are, you know? Well, it's fine. It's just kind of like I'm wondering if it was maybe translated a little bit weird. Like when they say I'm going off to train, maybe they mean I'm going to start a delivery business because I have the That does to sound like it might be a translation <laughs> error. Yeah. Yes. All right, Diana, what has nerd culture done for you lately? Uh, okay. Well, I want to start with the fact that I just made a cup of tea from this like nerdy tea company that I'm drinking for the first time. First of all, you're going to love this a lot. It's a, like a D20 uh, tea strainer. Isn't that that so cool? A large tea strainer. It's very good, but all my cups are like this size. So that makes sense. There, it's not like the teas are teas, but they all have nerdy names, but I am like really in love with them. Also, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, and they're like, I don't know. They're just like really interesting flavors. Like this is spicy, but I like mm. it. Um, you don't like spicy though. I know, but for some reason I like it as a tea. Uh, so there's that. Um, I am obsessed with a new video game, which has not happened to me in a long time. Like yeah. a non-Dragon Age video game that has made me lose my shit. I and wondered if this would be your topic, this uh, go around. It, it, it might be, yeah. Okay. Um, but it's Spirit Fair. I will get more into it in a full episode because I could talk about this game for hours and hours. But uh, basically... It was, you know, we talked about like the timing of Animal Crossing, but this game, I bought it like right as I had injured myself and had to stay in bed for like three days straight. So I binged through so much of this game and it cured my injury (laughs) single-handedly. So there's that, uh, but I won't go too much into it. And then uh, the other thing is that I know we talked on the Neverland episode about doing more Neverland things, uh, but I am really excited. It has not been launched yet, although who knows by the time um, we release this episode. Mm. But there will be a small-scale Kickstarter to expand on Neverland with some little trinkets from some lovely creators in the TTRPG sphere uh, and some more more writers and things like that. And I won't get into it, but I'm just thrilled, like thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. So we'll have a hardcover print. Um, It'll be expanded upon. I'll write uh, more in depth. We have some people donating some not donating, everybody's getting paid, but uh, people uh, 
writing extra things, subclasses, adventures, figments, uh, and cool stuff. So I'm really like on cloud nine about that. Well, that sounds like a lot of work, but I'm really excited to hear more about it or see what comes with it. Yeah, me too. Wow. Wow. Uh, and I don't know. That's it. So let's let's talk about a thing. Let's get a man in here so that we can talk about a thing. Sounds acceptable. In a man's plane, Putting one minute on the man, watch and go. True blood. I'm in a bit of a mansplained pickle here because I feel like I definitely already had a diatribe about over-the-top romantic melodramas aimed at thirsty teens, and I've definitely ripped on people who are into vampire shit. And this is just both of those things, so what can I say that's new? Further complicating the issue, and this is not having listened to the episode, of course, I don't listen to Femsplained. I would imagine that Avalon and Diana spent most of the show making fun of themselves for liking True Blood, so I can't even rip on them. And yet, it is my solemn vow to you, our listeners, that knowing nothing about the topic, I will still give an authoritative takedown of whatever it is we're talking about this week. So, True Blood was a dumb show? So dumb that I can't believe it was on HBO and not The CW? Is that good? Did I do good? Eh, that's your mansplain minute. Well, whatever that was, <laughs> thank you, Francis. Whatever uh, that was, was that. It was that. So we're going to talk about <laughs> a show that is over a decade old. Oh, because God, is it that old? Yeah. This show started in 2008, because I was still in college at the time that it uh, came out. I was still doing my undergrad. So True Blood... Is, is the topic. And just to preface, like, I feel like it's okay that we explore old shows like this because everybody has been stuck inside and no new media has been coming out for like the last nine months. So I feel like it's fair for us to go back and binge watch old shows and then talk about them. Yeah, I don't really care what's fair. That's what, This is what we're talking about. <laughs> Okay, good. Um, as long as I we're think on the that same my first page. episode was Toonami, so. My, oh, that's true. Yeah. My perspective on the statute of limitations is <laughs> somewhat skewed. <laughs> um, okay, so came out in 2008, you're claiming. I don't remember when this show was on my radar. I know I watched it, I think, at, either after it wasn't on the air anymore, or like I watched all of it as the final season was airing and then caught up. But it was, it was a binge for me. Oh, yeah. It was not a binge for me. Basically, I was pirating the episodes as they came out. This was my first experience with pirating TV shows with Torrance. Nice. I remember oh, Torrance. with Torrance. This was my first. Don't nobody arrest me for this. But it was my first. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first. My, you know, baby's first Torrent where like somebody in my dorm hall like came to my room and showed me how to do it um and (laughs) i was so excited that i got to have access to an hbo show but it we i so i rewatched it recently i i rewatched it somewhere in month three of the 
COVID-19 lockdown. And I got to say that the first two seasons of that show hold up and are still some of the best TV that's ever been put out. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am, I'm, really, I'm really convinced on that. I don't specifically disagree. I'm just uncomfortable with such large claims. I know. Generally. <laughs> I think that then, first of all, there are more seasons of this show than you think there are. Like, I, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe I didn't. I think I finished it. I really remember being like, okay, I remember that there are two good seasons of this show, one medium season of this show, and then one really bad season of this show. Mm. And that there's so much more of it. There are seven seasons of the show. Wow. It goes on for so long. When I think about other shows that there are seven seasons of that feel very robust to me, like Buffy has seven, seven seasons and it's like such a chapter in people's lives if they were into it. But like yeah. True Blood, not so much to me. That's because after season four, everybody was like, okay, enough of this. <laughs> enough of whatever road you just decided to go down. Um, so, okay. So I'm going to try to like, ex- like summarize the trajectory of this show. Because yes. season one is like setting the stage. And it's very interesting because they introduce... Um, the concept that vampires are are not only a thing that exists, but that they've existed in secret for a number of years. And about a year ago, they announced their existence because a company invented a synthetic blood product where they could drink it and be completely nourished and they don't have to drink the blood of people. And so now they are out and people know that they exist and there is obviously ongoing controversy as to whether or not that should be accepted by humanity. And it is set in the deep south, correct? So I think yes. that there's a little bit of uh, a commentary being made there. Oh, there's there's yeah. several like congruent commentaries being made, <laughs> which which starts out interesting. So <laughs> Season one starts out in an interesting way because they liken it, obviously, to other struggles, uh, civil rights struggles, LGBT rights struggles. They, they, they kind of draw a parallel there. And in season one in particular, it works because they introduce that there is this quote-unquote monster that exists and that is, ooh, scary. Uh, but the main villain of season one is a regular old human. In fact, it's one that hates vampires so much that he starts killing humans who associate too familiarly with them, aka sexually. sexually, Yeah. Uh, So first of all, great villain, good twist. Um, There are so many uh, bait and switches in season one about what you think the, who you think is bad, good. They introduce the groundwork. They introduce Eric Northman and the concept of the hierarchy that exists in the vampire world, but they don't really go into it too much. 
Um, they just sort of sprinkle a lot of things here and there. And they set the stage for the idea that there are more supernatural things out there, which is at that point fun and interesting because yes. once they start introducing them all, it gets ridiculous. But yeah. uh, <laughs> they don't really like trot them out slowly enough. I feel like it's like gradual, 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 too much. It, that's exactly how it goes. Whereas yeah. if, if they had just spread them evenly across all seven seasons, it might have been. So we're introduced also to the idea that some of the supernatural creatures do not get along with others. Um, we're not really told why exactly, but, uh, but we are introduced to a lot of these, comp uh, these things. So Is it just vampires versus werewolves? Uh, but also werewolves versus shifters. Shifters don't like werewolves. <laughs> Oh, I forgot it. Because werewolves shifters. are emotional and heated and passionate and violent and like have all these things associated with them in this universe. And shifters are apparently not that, although uh, Sam's character does not really do a great job at, at showing us that considering he's like always firing somebody because he's so mad. Uh, and of course, we're introduced to uh, Lafayette, who is one of the best TV characters ever, who, uh, okay. So on rewatch, one of the hardest things for me to watch is how much bullshit Lafayette and Tara specifically yeah. go through to the point where, like, in real life, they would have left that fucking town in season two. <laughs> they would have been gone from that yeah. town. There are things that I'm so appreciative of, of, like, Lafayette's character, but I feel like the fact that he holds both, like, Black and queer male identities and gets shit on more than anyone else started to kind of bug me in the show as it, a viewer. Yeah. It, like, uh, I don't know why he needed to be the punching bag. Him and Tara both. And Tara. Like, well, I didn't get it until, I guess, like, when you're watching it as the episodes are coming out, you don't see, like, how, how, like how condensed all of the trauma gets piled on these two characters. But at a certain point, I remember, like, there's a scene where, like, Tara is being attacked again. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, like, Jesus Christ, let yeah. it go. <laughs> and, like... At one point, she does escape the town. She, like, gets out of there, and she's, like, living a good lesbian life. And I'm, like, cheering wow, her on. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, she becomes a cage fighter, which is my favorite TV wow, trope, that's... where a character, draw, like, like, leaves the main cast for a little while, and when they're reintroduced, they are a cage fighter somewhere. Uh, I have a really hard time with my recollection of that actor's body yeah. type and <laughs> imagining her being a cage fighter. Yeah, well, she she's very fit. There's like one scene in like season two where she's like in in Ryan Quantin's I forget his character's name fantasy where he's like high on drugs, and she's like holding like a big pitcher of water and like pouring it, and her arm muscles are just like I mean they're carved out of stone. They're okay, beautiful. all right. So sorry to Retina Weasley for uh, objectifying your arms. Um, so. So, okay, season one, human villain, stage is set. Season two, best villain of all time, the main ad. Is that that lady? Yeah. Okay. My recollection is that that's when it jumped the shark. So I, I think I'm also. No, no. Oh, my God. She's great. Okay. 
So here's the thing we're not talking about. Okay. All right. Talk Talk about about Sookie. (laughs) (laughs) See, I was going to avoid Sookie as a character altogether. We can't. (laughs) Because she's really unimportant. (laughs) It's like the show is centered around her, but the character is written very much, you know, a la Bella Swan, where she's an empty shell. Yeah, yeah, she's she's an empty shell character. Not to hate on Anna Paquin, who I think is wonderful. No, Anna Paquin's everything great. she does. But the character as written is is just even though you're watching her on screen, you're supposed to be able to just fill in the blank, <laughs> whatever you want. It is. It is like a uh, fucking what's her name? Twilight Bella Swan. Lady that you just said yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just hard because everything feels she's such like an unearned unicorn. Yes. And I I wouldn't mind a, a protagonist that wasn't that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and the way that they kind of it does seem like they sort of lose control over why she is so <laughs> yes. uh important to every single person in the world, supernatural or not supernatural. And when they finally get to a point where they decide to explain that, it is so, so bad. Because yeah. that's where we get the fairy storyline. Yes. Which is absolutely where Which I Which I thought was part of the main ad, mine ad. No. So, so they, they trickle it in a little bit. Like, starting in season two, there's one moment where... Sookie is being attacked by the main ad and she screams and like a little ball of light shoots out of her hand and throws the main ad back. It's mm. up until that point, the only thing that has affected the main ad in any way. So it's okay. like a, a shocking moment. Um, like the vampires can't bite her. They start getting like sick and vomiting. Um, and humans, she can just hypnotize uh, and they can't do anything. Um, so... Oh, it's like, so for episode after episode, she's been this all-powerful thing, and then Suki, like, yells at her, and then, uh, you know, it's a big deal. But then they don't tell us what, like, that all meant until, like, later on. So up until the glowing ball, the thing that makes Suki special is that she tastes the best of all yes. the humans, right? Yeah. And she's, so she's a telepath. She can hear people's thoughts. Oh, Jesus. Wow, I yeah, didn't remember that's, that. That's, that's <laughs> How did show. she not hear the, in the first season? What's the plot hook so, for her not figuring out the murderer? Yeah, so she doesn't, so the whole setup is that it's so, it's been such a hard life having to hear people's thoughts that she learned how to focus it out of her brain. And she only lets that go when she's being a intentional or two when she's like super stressed out or like in a state of trauma and she can't block it out. Mm, So season one, you know, she's set up this idea that she doesn't want to listen to people's thoughts at all. Um, And there are like several times during like the first couple seasons where her ability to hear people's thoughts um, comes in handy, like she uses it to to get out of a few messes, and then for like the four seasons after that, she doesn't use it at all. It's like it's like not even mentioned to the point where I forgot that that was. Yeah, what she okay. Could then do. I don't feel as bad about forgetting because no. that feels like a big 
things yeah. that you forget. And the reason that she's attracted to vampires is because they don't have thoughts that emit whatever it is that she's able to hear as a telepath. So she oh, can't okay. she can't hear their thoughts. So it's peaceful. So she likes so she likes the vampires because she doesn't have to close up her thoughts. So what's the deal with her brother, who presumably also is part fairy? No, he's not. Unfortunately, like it it skipped him or whatever. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So her brother, which now this is irritating me because I keep thinking of his real name, Ryan Quanton. Oh, Jason. Jason. That's it. So Jason is her brother, and he's like a dumb, dumb jock stereotype. He's a little mm-hmm. klutzy. He little... is that that thing the kids are saying these days. It's he's a, a himbo. Boy. Himbo. What? He's a himbo. himbo. Oh yeah. yeah, dumb, hard of gold, and extremely handsome. Yeah. yeah. Now often no shirt. Often no shirt. Uh, and he's a playboy. He's always like, um, there are a lot of drop balls on his storyline in particular. So he um, is a playboy. He's introduced to us as like a guy that's sleeping around with every girl in town, never in a long-term relationship, uh, always moving on to the next thing and um, perfectly content to live his life that way, right? Season one, he dates uh, uh, the beautiful girl who plays Janice Ian on Mean Girls. I don't remember. Oh, I can't remember her name, but she's beautiful. It's disgusting. Um, and he dates her and she like breaks through his walls, right? And gets him to be in a real relationship. Except she's addicted to vampire blood. And when they run out, she becomes absolutely ruthless and literally kidnaps a adult vampire man. Oh. Keeps them in their basement as a prisoner and uses him to to get as much vampire blood as she wants. So uh, that's an interesting twist, right? On it, the idea that vampires are eating people. Exactly. Uh, and she's like super prepped for it. She has like bags full of silver and like things like that that she can like kidnap with. So this vampire, Eddie, who is played by one of those actors who you like once you recognize his face, you see him in movies like from all throughout time and he has like not aged one day. <laughs> so he, he is a gay and was a friend of Lafayette's basically like him and Lafayette had a sort of sex worker relationship where he gave Lafayette blood and Lafayette gave him a good time and it was all copacetic and, and consensual and happy. So Lafayette is also using vampire blood? Yeah, he's selling it, but he sells. He's oh. he's a small. He's an entrepreneur, you know. He's it. a okay. sex so he's worker, sell, he's, self-made, he's selling, not yes. addicted. Exactly. Okay. So Lafayette. So they kidnap him, and now Jason makes friends with him, sort of over the course of him being like trapped in his basement, like. And there are some seeds that get dropped that Jason is possibly gay and that might be an explanation for his like chaotic love life lifestyle so in this like conversation he has with this gay vampire there are a couple of very clear moments where we are being toyed with that the idea that jason might be gay Mm -hmm. and then later on like several seasons later we learn that jason was actually 
sexually assaulted by his much older teacher when he was a, a like a tween mm. and that that's why he is like kind of sexually disordered um is because his first sexual experience was with like this you know adult woman who was taking advantage and then that never gets resolved like nothing sure. gets resolved or worked through like he is denied so much character development like despite multiple like opportunities for there to be like a like a light bulb moment or like yeah. a growth moment and through and through the entire show is it just continues on well and he's such a major character like my recollection yes. is that he's not really even in the background having these sort of potential moments and then you forget about him and he's just no trotted out to replay this specific kind of character like it, it almost at times i feel like he's a bigger character than Suki. yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> what's the season about the mega church because that's yes. the one that i find myself thinking about the most but not necessarily remembering. that's an interesting one actually um <laughs> so like you know, they, the, the megachurch actually comes into play, like, for a couple of seasons. It first gets, like, they mention it, you know, throughout the first season, and they, they, like, kind of recruit Jason because they think that he's killed all of these women who sleep with vampires, and to them, that's a good thing. Mm. And then later on, this is where we start learning about the humanization of Eric Northman, which is an interesting that tale. That might be why I like that season because that's probably my favorite story yeah eric northman up until this kind of storyline happens is like he's a really old vampire he's sort of godlike he doesn't seem to have regard for humans except in useful ways to him uh we know that the only person he's very close with is his progeny pam who is another great character <laughs> uh but other than that kind of a ruthless guy kind of maybe sinister we think a little bit but you're not quite sure and yeah. then in this storyline we meet his maker because his maker has been allegedly kidnapped by this mega church and they are planning to have basically a sacrificial uh ceremony with all of their followers where they kill him in daylight uh to prove that you know, humans are better than vampires or whatever they, whatever their plan is. And uh, it had turned out that this vampire was just so old, this vampire who's like, a, he's like the 16 year old boy's body uh, and is the oldest vampire that we know of, had just gotten tired of existing and figured his last act would be to do something to show that vampires aren't evil. Like, his idea of it was like, sure, I'm going to give myself over to these people. I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to allow them to do this to me, even though I can easily get out of it. And hopefully it'll show people that, you know, uh, honestly, kind of stupid idea because all it does is make the vampires want to kill all these humans. Right. And yeah. the humans think that they're justified in doing this because he's a monster anyway. So not the best idea. Uh, they save his life, but then he wants to, like, go kill himself anyway because he's, he's still done. And Eric Northman cries on camera, and it's a big deal. Uh, he's he's yeah. a little humanized. Um, it's a real 
Never mind. <laughs> yeah. But this does lead into the fact that this mega church continues to exist throughout the show in weird ways. So they defeat the mega church, quote unquote, like by um, rescuing him, not spilling any blood, and it's a big victorious moment or whatever. But the vampires continue, the, sorry, the church continues to go on like, you know, True Bloods, Tucker Carlson type shows talking about how, you know, evil all the vampires are and stuff like that. And it features the head of the church who has now disappeared mysteriously and his wife who, (sighs) great, great actress, great, uh, you know, great character. She's so good at being like a, a bitch. Like she's so good at it. She is very you know, ruthless in, in the way that like, she wants to become like a conservative darling and she wants Mm -hmm. to be like in charge, um, of this church. Um, and it turns out that the pastor himself had gotten turned by a vampire as kind of like a punishment, like for what Mm. he had done with his career. And He's kind of a humorous thing. He shows up then later, like tr- climbing the vampire hierarchy. Like he's like mm. kind of smarmy as a vampire I too. Remember that guy's <laughs> face? That's making me crazy because I can remember his wife so clearly. Because whenever I see her in another role, I just think about True Blood. Yeah. So now the we're gonna skip because a couple of seasons are garbage. But we're skipping to the end of True Blood is one of the most. It haunts me that they thought that this was a good idea to end the series on. There's this whole storyline where she buys the True Blood factory and puts a poison in it to make all of the vampires like like crazy violent and contagious and that they all start to die and it, it turns the whole world into chaos, right? So she definitely does this horrible, evil thing. But it happened... Because Bill, when we were going through the Billeth storyline, and he was like the god of the vampires for like a day. It lasted like one day. Um, He made the call to blow up the True Blood factories to drain the vampire supply chain to make vampires want to attack humans more. Why did he do that? Because he thought it was divine providence or something. He was... Why was he evil all of a sudden? Because he drank Lilith's blood and it made him crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I knew I was missing something there. Really, truly bizarro storyline. So now Bill did this evil thing, horrible, that caused a lot of chaos. She capitalized on it, bought one of the True Blood factories, let it go, but now with this like crazy bad poison in it. Um, they eventually like create an antidote, uh, Pam and Eric create an antidote and, oh no, sorry. (laughs) The pastor's wife, right? She Mm -hmm. has the antidote. She drinks it to keep herself alive because they're like about to kill her. Mm -hmm. So she's like, you can't kill me. I have the antidote. And so then... What winds up happening is that they turn her blood into the antidote, sell it. But at the end, Pam and Eric, like, chain her up in the basement of their shitty bar and 
allow her to be assaulted over and over again by vampires, like for money, presumably for the rest of her life. That is the show's last image. Really? Really. I, for, I was like, I, I seriously, I had forgotten about it. And I think it was because of how fucking unbalanced this was. Like, everybody has done so much fucked up things to mm-hmm. each other over the course of however many years the show is on and bill dies but like in a crying love scene between him and sookie and like she kills him at his request and it's like it's it's like a little romantic even though he's done so many things including kill her like like yeah yeah. it's funny to me because if sookie and bill because so it's you know the whole thing in a nutshell is that it's a you know a supernatural soap opera which i am unconditionally here for and I would overlook all kinds of problems in that kind of media um but I also like I know that they are married in real life but I feel like they never had any chemistry and I feel like I was I never gave a fuck about the two of them together like Sookie and Eric or Sookie and that werewolf I was yeah so much chemistry but Bill was just even when Bill was evil or abusive it was boring to me Yes, he was yeah. a very dry character. Yeah. I, I thought so too. Especially when like once he got juxtaposed with like all these really dynamic characters like yeah. like Pam and and uh, Eric and Alcide and like uh, they're all just very lively and Yes. <laughs> and Bill is and very hot. And Bill Bill hot. acts in black and white. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and uh so I agree. I agree. I never got into the the destined romance that we're supposed to believe that they have um especially because like he was like hunting her for her fairy blood or whatever but anyway bill gets to die a nice like peaceful death uh eric and pam become like successful business folk who have like created a antidote to the world's worst virus um (laughs) you know and they're like superstars uh Suki has a nice life with no other, um, like, supernatural people we're supposed to presume. There's some weird, what, Jessica? Jessica kills I was a gonna... bunch of kids. She, okay. like, kills a bunch of children <laughs> and, like, is forgiven. <laughs> we do need to loop back on Jessica a little bit. Yeah, we Jessica totally is do. arguably the most interesting slash worst thing Bill does. <laughs> yes. So... Bill is a bad dad, part one. So Bill is forced to, so it's not his fault, I guess, uh, that he does this thing, but he's forced by the king of vampires, the king of Louisiana, which is so silly, because why do vampires care about state lines that were drawn by humans? (laughs) But whatever, uh, he's the king of Louisiana, and he forces Bill to make a vampire to make up for a vampire life he took. And it's Jessica. It's this teenager, teenage girl, uh, played by Deborah Ann Wall, who is the best. So she's a scared little, like, Christian teenager who's a little, like, mousy, and she's very afraid. It's a little, like, it's a very, it's a very emotionally charged scene where he has to make this vampire. And then, like, it shows us, like, the kind of 
that vampires in the beginning are not like are not instinctual about like what like how to handle this new surge of heightened senses and emotions and things like that they can be like almost like well, a bratty teenager um mm. and so that's interesting but then what bill does with it is that he like pawns her off on two other vampires for two weeks and then when she finally comes home he like like leaves her alone he like gives her he gives her no explanation for this life he's created for her yeah and then he like and then he like like i don't know a couple months later like he releases her which is like a magical vampire thing where they can like release you from your maker progeny bond um or whatever so jessica kind of really gets screwed (laughs) by bill's behavior pretty early on uh but then you know a couple years later she eats a bunch of babies so it's like i don't know they're not baby i think they're teenagers at the time or something she eats a couple of young fairy babies why because she was starving and fairies smell exceptionally good and trigger like some sort of hunger urge in vampires so like she's also a baby is the thing we're supposed to continue to think by this time probably not control this is like two years into it she had been starving i think because of this virus where like the true blood was compromised and you couldn't eat vampires couldn't eat people because they all had this virus or something like that yeah okay and so the sheriff of the town gets into a fairy pact with a random fairy that comes through the woods and has sex with him and right. then so this is where it becomes a fan fiction yes and then yeah. ha- and then has a bunch of fairy babies and then she leaves the fairy babies with him and leaves and disappears and his way too supportive girlfriend who's way too attractive for him is okay with this and helps him to raise these estranged fairy babies <laughs> uh, I would too. <laughs> and then three of the four of them just get eaten oh. by jessica she eats them and she gets a redemption arc. <laughs> so this is my point, is that everybody has done so many horrible things, and they all get a redemption arc, every single one. But our pastor lady is the final scene of the show, is that for the rest of her life, she is chained in a basement being assaulted over and over again. And I, like, when I tell you that I think about that, I've finished that rewatch. Like, it's, it's like, traumatic for me to picture that scene. Well, it's like, fucked up, yeah. It's fucked up. And it's, like, so disproportionate. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I guess we just have to assume that in a hypothetical season eight, she would have a redemption arc, <sighs> would be married to Eric, maybe, who knows. Ugh. Uh, even okay even in that bar i don't know even like the one of my favorite characters is like the idiot trashy woman who works for eric and pam in the bar yeah and even she gets her like her fantasy lived out she always wanted to have sex with eric northman Mm-hmm. She wanted to have sex with Eric Northman since she was a college student. We get a flashback of her in college. It's great. Uh, like before she becomes like 
addicted to vampire blood and glamored out of her mind. But she has a crush on Eric Northman. And there's this one scene where he's just, you know what? Fine. You've done so much for us. I, we can have sex. <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like, it's, it's kind of like a script reverse on that like trope of a guy who finishes in two seconds because he's been building up to this like moment for so long. But she oh. does exactly that. She like sits in his lap, screams, and then falls asleep on the floor. Yeah. Very good. So she gets her little thing. The other thing that I just cannot handle is the fact that Tara, Tara, who is a principal member of the cast for the entire show, has the most unceremonious death. She gets an off-camera death that is over in, like, moments. And it's just like, we shoot back to the scene and it's like, oh, Tara's dead. After, like, so, like, we're so invested in this human being. Right. Like, yeah. It's that also happens in Buffy, and it's like really not okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, we were upset about it for like a a while where we were like, they better bring her back if they're going to kill her so unceremoniously. But no, it's just disrespectful. Especially after like using her as, torture porn for seven seasons like she's really earned something yes it's it was just it was very bad Tara. oh so okay so the show you said started in 2008 but it is based on a book or book series correct a book series i think it's called the i think it's called the sookie stackhouse novels or something is is like the name of the series but nothing to do with True Blood is is related to the book series title. Oh, it's really? It's like, yeah, it's, it, I, I forget, like, the names of the books. I remember I tried to read the first one, and it... Yeah. yeah. It, I'd be <laughs> curious to read the first one. I'm, it would have to be... I'm sure it's, like, not real heavy. No. no. I'm just wondering, because as we're talking about it, there are more similarities with Twilight than I remembered. Oh, yeah. Including, like... Uh, all right. My recollection of Twilight might be off, but don't the vampires like her because they can usually read minds, but they can't read hers for some mysterious reason? Isn't there something like that? Like what it some there's something about Bella Swan. Do you know what's funny about this is that like only six months ago, I watched the entire Twilight series to try to like because I never watched them. (laughs) I've never seen them. I I tried to like to make fun of. I wanted to get. You know, I wanted to, yeah. to know what it was about. Yeah, And exactly. I don't remember. I don't yeah. remember. I watched the entire thing. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's pretty much where I'm at. I read through all of them because I really wanted to deepen my ability to be shitty to people who liked it. Yeah, sure. That's where I was at in my life. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't really remember. But yeah. it, if that is something I didn't just make up, it feels like there are an awful lot of similarities <laughs> There's a lot of similarities. There's also like, you know, a lot of this like trying to make werewolves and shifters very dog-esque. Like True Blood does that a lot where like it's weird with shifters because shifters can turn into anything yet they always still get like likened to dogs uh, in a weird way. Whereas werewolves, that actually makes sense because they turn into dog-esque 
creatures. Um, but like they have like in Twilight, they have like that imprinting thing that I do remember where like yeah. if a werewolf looks at a baby, it owns it or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm sure. Let's I, go with that. Oversimplified <laughs> that, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's something like that. <laughs> but like, but like where wolves werewolves in true blood like they have like territories and they also like rub their scent on stuff even when they're in human form which is a little bit much yeah there's a lot there's a lot there's so many like congruent storylines on true blood that are a little overwhelming to try to unpack sometimes i would yeah i would think so especially spread out over the seven seasons Mm -hmm. and lafayette has or develops some kind of powers right oh yes oh my god the witch season yes i forgot about that okay so so lafayette finally gets a love interest that is awesome it's a this great nurse character um that is taking care of his mom in the hospital and they meet and then he like there's a couple instances he has to come around and it's a great little love story. It's awesome to see Lafayette like in a relationship being comfortable. It's so nice. Yeah. It's very earned. It's very earned. But of course uh, (laughs) he has to be the subject of, of, of torture. Um, So his new boyfriend confesses to him that he comes from a line of witches although he uses the word brujo, which I don't think that the show did enough uh, research to earn because um, it feels a little... Yes. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. He, he tells him he's descended from a long line of magical practitioners um, and shows Lafayette how to tap into it a little bit. And in doing so, they learn that Lafayette comes from a line of magical practitioners. Like that his, uh, there's an interesting episode that while I think it uses a couple of cheap ploys, it is visually very interesting where they sort of go down this like trip through their, both of their ancestors. Yeah, I remember that visually very well. Very, very interesting. They see like, like all of these women in Lafayette's descendant see like have all these powers and people in his boyfriend's descendancy and then they get to the end and it's someone in the boyfriend's past and it's like dark and evil looking there's like skulls and stuff the most dark and evil of visuals in visuals (laughs) uh and so we that we then learn that he has magic in his bloodline that lafayette has magic in his bloodline and this guy also does too but that Somewhere there's some sort of presumably dark magic, which, you know, has always been a thing that bothers me that there's like a distinction between if magic can be good or if it can be bad and not like how it's applied is like always been a really weird thing for me in supernatural shows. Like that the the person themselves, their blood makes the magic evil. I don't know. I never yeah. That's a conversation that I want to have for five hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So so now uh, we get this witch 
who is introduced in the show as like kind of this mousy person who who was bullied her whole life for being weird and we feel bad for her i guess um and she runs a little coven and lafayette gets introduced to this coven because he wants to learn about this thing that he has in you know this ability that he has mm-hmm. But it is introduced very quickly that she has the beginnings of necromancy. So in a world where vampires exist, necromancy could be like a big fucking deal. Um, If you can control the dead, if you can control life and death, and vampires are undead creatures, a necromancer could hypothetically control them, kill them, etc. I feel like the argument could be made that that would not be something they could do. Yeah, absolutely. But in the but purposes, either way, I think it's interesting. Yeah, in this <laughs> it's just show, another conversation I want to have. That's all. <laughs> Don't mind. We had me. a lot of conversations <laughs> we could have. Uh, so in this show, that is the thing. And then she suddenly is actually not mousy at all. She's evil. She has partnered with an old, uh, very powerful witch from the witch trials era. Era. Um and is siphoning like her power in conjunction with her own and we kind of think that that's the evil person but it's a bait and switch she's the evil person whatever anyway she puts the spell on eric that turns him into a himbo uh because it erases his memory and he becomes nice <laughs> and oh, falls in love but that's with such that's such I an important love plot it. device though it because is. i needed that to happen that and him crying, I needed to happen in order, in order for me to fully justify my attraction yes. to him. Yes, because yes. <laughs> he was such a bad person. He was before that, and, and that just was like it was building sexual energy, building sexual energy. But it was so unlikable. But then those two things happened, and I was able to just switch gears. Yeah, they did and a that good was a very job. Part of the show designing that <laughs> yes. that way, which again. <laughs> Pretty similar to Spike and Buffy. Yes. Yeah. Actually, quite similar. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're allowed to be attracted to Eric Northman now because he's a little bit of an idiot and he's a born sexy yesterday and, uh, <laughs> and yep. we, we get that treat. Um, she basically, like, takes control over this, this coven, declares war on the vampires, And, oh, right. And so she is so power hungry that after she dies, she finds Lafayette as a a spirit. She finds Lafayette and possesses him um, because he has a little bit of magic and she wants it back. Uh, But his boyfriend has the stronger, more powerful magic. And she forces Lafayette to kill him to try to steal that power. And it's just another horrible, traumatic moment in the Lafayette storyline where he, you know, is able to fight her off, but, you know, wakes up to having killed his own, you know, partner. Horrible. Yeah, there's just so much bad that that happens to him. And then we like, we don't even really address the fact that like his sister, his cousin like dies horribly. Like, like just like so off camera and uninterestingly. And 
Yeah. Uh, she de- deserved so much more. Um, I definitely, the extent to which they abused Lafayette, Lafayette rather, started to impact my enjoyment of the show, for sure. Yeah. It was really hard in 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 binging it. Like, I think, mm-hmm. like, I didn't notice it as much when it was, like, when I was watching it as they were coming out, but binging right. it, it's, like, it becomes fucking overwhelming. It's every episode. Yeah. Like, it's just a new trauma. Yeah. And I, yeah. My, so I don't remember why I started watching the show, but I, it was when I lived in Ronkonkoma, mm-hmm. and I would, I started waking up at, like, 6 a.m. every day when no one else in the house was awake. So that I could watch two episodes before work every day. Oh my <laughs> and like, god! And it was just like such a cool, like little me time. Like I would make like a little pot of tea, and I would just like <laughs> be the only person that was awake. And I got really into it. Um, and it made me a morning person for a while, which was really nice. But I uh, so yeah, oh. so I binged it in that way. But I associate it so strongly with one summer because of that. Yeah. And so, yes, I consumed all the trauma at once. I, I just associate it with, like, I my dorm room. Like, I can almost, like, yeah. feel my dorm room when I watch this uh, show even now. And, like, you know, just, like, I can smell the ramen. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the, the uh, Carla Rossi wine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like those two memories are complete opposites, (laughs) but I really appreciate how vivid they both are. Well, if I've learned anything about True Blood from this episode, it's that it's just Buffy meets Twilight. Yeah. Honestly, first two seasons were still so solid. So, so fun and entertaining. Like characters are so great. So much good dialogue, so many good one-liners. So like so many good twists and like, and, and drama and stuff. And then, like, by the end of it, we were exhausted. We were like, can we take a break? Do we have to watch another episode? Yeah. But you do <laughs> like, need the later seasons for the permission to be attracted to Eric. That's all. That's what it's good for, yeah, yeah is, is permission to be attracted to Eric uh, for, for a little while. Um, and, you know, to get a little bit of fruition for, for lesbian Pam, because that was also a thing that yeah. I knew I wanted but didn't. Didn't know we were going to get it. Tara. Oh. Yeah. It's great. They have like a little bit of like a, like a angsty, um, not angsty. I would say like kind of like a a hostile kind of like hotness with each other where they like are constantly ribbing each other and constantly one-upping each other and challenging each other, but it's extremely hot. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so we get we get some some goodness there. Um, Does anything? What happens to Jessica in the end? Okay, so Jessica Jessica first has her the Hoyt um, thing, which I do not forgive the show for the destruction of Hoyt's character. I don't do it. They totally destroyed Hoyt's character in the beginning. Hoyt is just like a sweet Southern boy who has some mommy issues is he's too close to his mama uh but jessica helps him like kind of break free of that because he falls in love with her and it's good but to like i guess spicing up the storyline they just overnight turn him into a complete asshole like mm-hmm. a like a total dill and like it's so hard to watch 
because at then at that point, the only way they can continue the show is to just remove him because he's so volatile for no yeah. reason at all. And it sucks. <laughs> I remember when I was watching it, I think I would forget how old Jessica was supposed to be because I always shipped her and Jason. And I'm remembering now that she's too young for that. But at the time, oh no, we get we get Jessica and Jason. Do we? Oh, we do for for a while. Um, oh, okay. But it's and then it Jessica, wasn't a ship. It's something I actually saw. <laughs> yeah, something you actually saw, and it was it, it was good. So 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 basically, I mean, Jessica, I think is supposed to be like 16 or 17 when she gets turned into a vampire, but then mm-hmm. she's a vampire for like seven six years. years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I. I I don't know how I feel about the whole topic of consent and vampireships, uh, sure. but we're led to believe that this is fine. Uh, and she's like, her lifestyle does change. She starts like hanging out with like human college students to like put on the air that she is kind of like in that age group. Mm. But then again, I think Jason's supposed to be like 30. Well, so right, exactly. I, I don't think he's in his early 20s. Like no. he owns a home. Right. Uh, I, think, I think he's like 30. Uh, is a deputy, uh, which is another weird storyline. Jason like blackmails his way to becoming a cop, which I guess is realistic. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. They're, honestly, it's, it's really tripped trippy that this show was on the air for so long uh considering how many sharks got jumped like after season two yeah well it it survived the writer's strike or did it come out after the writer's strike oh my god wow i forgot about the right because there's so whenever i think about when i was in my first two years of college anytime i think about media or shows that were happening at the time that got canceled or got weird or got bad it's usually because of that huh when did the writer strike happen i for, i remember this but mm. i i don't know what it, it is in i guess maybe oh seven okay so then 708 yeah because right. some of the major shows that were affected was like lost heroes heroes oh yeah oh, what a tragedy that was so no i think true blood so no they did it all on their own <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so I'm torn for homework between reading the first book, because now I'm interested in doing that, mm. um, which you don't necessarily have to do, but I want to do that, and finding like the best fan fiction. I <laughs> because it lends itself to fan fiction that. so much. Yeah. I choose the fan fiction. I'm going to find one where Tara gets to live. Great. That's, yes, that's what I want. I want some Tara X Pam. Yeah. Uh, fiction. I want some crossover fan fiction. Ooh. Like, for like what? either Buffy True Blood or Twilight True Blood. Oof. I don't know if I can handle Twilight <laughs> True Blood. I think but Buffy. I think it's Buffy. Buffy it's True Blood bu- yeah. works. Yeah. 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 I'm going to find, I'm going to find something disgustingly happy. Either like Lafayette and Jason romance. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Where Jason finally comes out of the closet after yes. all of the gay baiting that happened with him. Uh, and Lafayette gets to be happy. Uh, yes. Or Tara and Pam get to live happily ever after uh, in a ridiculously good domestic partnership life. Who is the best ship for Eric? Besides Suki. like a self-insert. <laughs> no, it's Suki because Suki um. sucks and Eric sucks, but they're both hot. So yeah. it's, yeah, 
Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Or also I could do Eric and Bill. I could, I, there are a couple of uh, makeout scenes between Eric and Bill throughout yeah. the show that I really drive with. I just want Bill. I just could, I can erase Bill from the whole show <laughs> so cleanly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I would do Eric, maybe Eric and Alcide. I could see that too. Mm, okay, yeah. Because mm-hmm. Eric and, if Pam were not a lesbian, it would be Eric and Pam. Uh, no. No? No, they have too much of that, like, they have the strongest partnership. Yeah. And I, I can't, you know, it's like, <laughs> nah, I can't mess with it. All right, fair. Okay. So, the ultimate show for FMK. Yeah, this is a good one. Okay. Oh, we haven't talked at all about Sam Trammell's character. Which <laughs> I know, it's impossible. <laughs> no, it's impossible. <laughs> uh, okay. But I had a crush on him. I had a crush on him so much that I looked him up on IMDb and watched all of his other movies, which at that time were not that many, and only included this ridiculous film that I recommend you go look up called Anonymous Rex about the idea that dinosaurs uh, didn't actually go extinct. They just evolved to be hyper-intelligent to the point where they invented holographic technology much, to help them feel themselves to look like humans. And, <laughs> and Sam Trammell plays a velociraptor that is concealed by a holograph. And Who is Sam Trammell? I can't even find him on the IMDb. Sam Trammell plays Trammell. Sam Merlot on, on True Blood. He's very handsome, and he looks a little bit like a puppy, which I like. Wait, wasn't he the bad guy? No, not at all. Who the fuck am I thinking of? Who's the bad guy in the first season? You are, um, um, so he's the guy, oh my god, I will get this, um, um, because he has, like, a Cajun accent that's fake. Yes, yes, Um, that guy. Drew. Because he's Drew, Drew, but but that's not his. Uh, uh, oh, Michael Raymond is his real name. Yes, Mike, yeah, I like him. You do. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, to me, not so much. So okay, so I'm gonna say, fuck Mary Kill. Let's do let's do the ladies first. Anna Paquin, Sookie Stackhouse, um, Tara Thornton, Jessica Hamby. Wow, I want to not. Participate. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know mine. Mine's easy. I don't really like any of them. I guess fuck Jessica. Ugh, no. Uh, fuck Sookie. Kill Jessica, marry Tara. That's exactly what I do. And but here's I'm why. Ex- I'm not really excited about marrying Tara. I am. I. I think that if she punched me in the face, I would say thank you. Um, I have strong feelings about it, but Anna Paquin, just cause I would want to know what's it like to fuck a fairy, you know, mm. it would be, oh, there you go. And you that's, know, that's your MO. That's totally in my line. And then <laughs> kill Jessica Hamby just because one, she ate some babies. Uh, two, I'm not sure that I understand the age of consent for vampires. Sure. So Great. I'm just going to say no. Thank also, you. Also, I find her like crying to be a lot. <laughs> Like her whininess. Not like that would have anything to do with us having sex. But yeah, I hope not. But generally speaking, it, it informs my opinion of wanting to hang out with her for any period of time. Yes. Okay. And so for the boys, I will say I'm going to just take Bill Compton out of this scenario. He's not in it. Uh, Sam Merlot, 
Jason Stackhouse, Eric Northman. Fuck Sam, marry Eric, kill Jason. I'm marrying Eric so that I can fuck him more than once. Uh, okay. I think uh, the right answer would be to marry Sam, but. He, uh, you know what? I don't know. Sam gets a little shifty. A little controlling and weird, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. later on. Oh, I'm ready to shift. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's got, like, a, a half shifter baby and, like, I don't yeah. know. There's a lot going on with him. I'm going to say. He reminds me of everyone I went to high school with, so he is <laughs> killed. <laughs> I am going to say that I fuck Eric Northman. He's not marriage material at all. Oh. I will kill Sam Rilat and I'm going to marry Jason Stackhouse because I what? think that he just needs a little TLC. Ew. <laughs> he just needs like some so something dumb. stable. No, and he's so dumb. He is, but whatever. Ugh. <laughs> I would be so mean to him. <laughs> you would be. Our marriage would be so unhealthy. <laughs> and our marriage would be unhealthy in the way that we would just both be apologizing to each other all yes, the time. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel hyped about True Blood right now. Same. So what are you doing after this? Going to a virtual wedding. Thank me you too. For reminding me. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> oh I'm very. I'm kind of excited. I haven't done one of these yet, even though I it's like either. all the rage to to do a I Zoom want wedding. To dress up for it, but also I don't want to. I probably will, but from the midsection so. only. It's mostly like, do I want to do anything with my hair? Do you? the answer is maybe. Maybe <laughs> I want my hair to be done, but I don't want to do it. Yeah. So we'll yeah. see. No, this is this is just what my hair does. I don't do anything. It looks like anymore. you have bangs now. I do. I cut them myself. Oh cute. But not very well. It's like they can't go in the middle. They can only go over here. They could. You could force them to. Force them in the middle. I think when you have curly hair, it's it's like more okay if they're not. Yeah, if they're like really like really, really curled, they'll they'll go up to, to mid forehead line. But. Yeah. But if it looks uneven, you can be like, ah, oh, it's just curly. Yeah. Yeah. I get away with a lot. Um, I forgot we were still recording. <laughs> we are. But anyway, I am also going to go to that Zoom wedding. And you're also playing a little D&D today. It got moved to tomorrow because of the wedding. <laughs> oh, nice. Because okay. it was at the same time. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, have fun. And I'll see you in a little bit. And we'll, we'll find out if we both dress up. Yay. Hey. Bye. Bye.